we are ready to look at our scripture for today, which is Jeremiah 23, the first six verses. Here are these words written by Jeremiah as he speaks for the Lord. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people, it is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for all your evil doings, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold. And they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them. And they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed. Nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall, be, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So how many of you have had a time recently where you wished you didn't have to make any decisions? You didn't have to take care of anybody. All the details of life were taken care of. You didn't have to worry about caring for someone or where they might need to be. And you just wished you could sit for a few minutes and know you didn't have to be in charge of anything or anybody. Says the father of two young children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but then there comes this reality check. And for me, it goes kind of like this. Oh, wait. For the most part, I actually like being in charge of my own world. I like controlling most of my world most of the time and not having to trust someone else to do it as well as I would. Am I the only one who thinks like that occasionally? Or are some of you with me? In those situations, really, the life-impacting question we have to deal with is, who's really in charge? I may want to be, I may not want to be, but the question is, who's really in charge? Maybe at some level I like the idea of being my own king, or queen, as the case may be with some of you. But who's really in charge? The people that Jeremiah was writing to and that he spoke to were kind of wrestling with the same question. They were trying to figure out, too, who's really in charge. You see, in the couple of chapters of Jeremiah, just before the words I read a moment ago, we get the very real sense that those who were supposed to be in charge have not been. They failed. 
Specifically, the kings, the priests, the prophets had all failed the people of God during a difficult time. It was that time which was leading up to the Babylonian exile. After Israel was defeated and many of its people were gradually taken away to Babylon. Our passage begins with essentially an announcement saying that the leaders had not done their job well. It starts with verse 1 that we read. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Blame clearly is placed on the shepherds, which, in fact, was a common metaphor for the kings. Scott talked about the shepherd king in these writings. Shepherd often represented the kings. These verses, which come in anticipation of the exile in 587 B.C., blame the kings for scattering God's people. Because the kings who were shepherds, in theory, failed to attend to the flock of God, the people who were God's sheep. The kings, in particular, had failed the people. They failed to lead them toward God's best. They failed to care for them. They failed to protect them at all costs. So, as in other times throughout the Old Testament, the people of God were awaiting a king who would rescue them, who would restore them, who would rule over them and the world around them just the way they wanted to be ruled. They continued to wait for that king, the promised one, the king who would change their lives and alter their world dramatically. For centuries, centuries, Jewish people had been living through difficult times involving being defeated, being exiled, a disappointing return back to their homeland, various rebellions and foreign occupations. Through it all, they waited. Waiting for the promised king from David's line, a king who would change their world. Now, I'm not sure it's even possible for us to fully understand what it means to have a king like that. <coughs> Excuse me. Because we live in a totally different world. I mean, in most places in the world in that time period, a king would have had absolute power. Absolute power. Power over rules and laws that they lived by. Power over social and religious practices. Even power over life and death. The rule was absolute. No questions. It's quite a bit different to the world we live to, isn't it? The world we live in today. I mean, at least in this country today, we can agree or we can disagree with our leaders. I can agree with national, state, or local leaders, and it's okay for me to do that. But it's just as okay if I disagree with their policies and their decisions and let that be known. I can even express it in social media if I choose to. I won't, by the way. And there's very little, if any, consequences 
for my disagreement, my objection. I can call a leader great. I can call a leader an idiot. And either way, it's good. Maybe. I'm not going to get in trouble. If I don't like who's in leadership, I can help vote them out of office. Or maybe if I don't like what they believe and what they're trying to, to lead us toward, maybe I can just ignore them altogether because I know my ideas are better than theirs anyway. Whatever our thoughts and understandings of leadership today, we know it's drastically different than a king with absolute power. We don't understand that world because we've never really lived in it. The people of God had endured many kings with this kind of absolute power. But those kings had failed to rule effectively, at least in recent history, from Jeremiah's time. So they continued to wait. They waited for the one they hoped would come and change their lives and their world. (coughs) Excuse me. They waited for a king who would rule in righteousness and power and love. They waited for the one who would be the king they gladly would submit to and trust. They were fine with absolute power for their king the way they envisioned him to be. They were waiting for that king and ultimately they would think of him as Messiah. We know that eventually that king arrived with the birth of Jesus, the one who was referred to from beginning to end as king, as early in the story as Matthew chapter 2. We hear a royal reference in the words of the Magi when they come and their question is, Where is he who is born? king of the Jews and in multiple references throughout the gospel finally leading up to the very end the very end where there was a sign hung on the cross saying this is Jesus king of the Jews yes I know the sign was hung in jest by those who crucified him. But the title was used because there were many people there that believed that's exactly who he was. And they proclaimed him as king. Those people were used to the rule of an absolute monarch. They understood what they were saying when they referred to Jesus as king, knowing that king meant We will surrender, we will submit completely to his rule. And the body of Christ, the church, came to life under this new king, demonstrating full allegiance to this king, the one who would ultimately be the king of kings. So the church continued under the kingship of Jesus For centuries, for centuries, Christ was king. His followers submitted to his rule. 
Yes, there were times where the submission to Christ as king was healthier and stronger than at other times in the history of the church. Yes, there were times where there were heresies and misinterpretations and distortions of biblical truth. But still, essentially submission to the king. Then in the earliest, early part of the 20th century, there was an evident gradual erosion in the submission of the people to Christ as king. Eventually, that erosion hit such a point that one of the great leaders of the church called the people of God back to submission to the king with the initiation of the Feast of Christ the King or what we now in our church refer to as Christ the King Sunday. Pope Pius XI instituted the Feast of Christ the King in 1925. Not that long ago, less than 100 years ago. And it was instituted to remind Christians that their allegiance was to the spiritual ruler in heaven as opposed to earthly leaders. The reminder that feast was established and proclaimed by the Pope to reassert the sovereignty of Christ and the church over all other forms of leadership and even government, to remind Christians of the fidelity and loyalty they owed to Christ, who by his incarnation and sacrificial death on the cross had made them both adopted children of God and future citizens and heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Christ the King Day was also a response to the increasing denial of Christ as king and the rise of secularism throughout Europe. During that period of time, many Christians doubted not only Christ's authority, but even his existence. There were questions. There were doubts. There was misdirection. And then here's a little bit of historical context. This celebration of Christ the King was also a reminder to the totalitarian governments of the time, governments of Mussolini, Hitler, and Stalin, that Jesus Christ is the only sovereign king. And this was the church's leadership proclaiming such. As Pope Pius and other faithful Christians begin to see the respect and reverence for Christ's authority diminishing, this feast was put in place to reaffirm and refocus faith and respect in the kingship of Christ, our spiritual king and ruler who rules by truth and love. We declare our loyalty to him by the quality of our Christian commitment. While the world was increasingly telling Christians they must compartmentalize their religion, give their highest allegiance to the government, and keep your faith to yourself, Pope Pius XI wrote these words to the church. If if to Christ our Lord is given all power in heaven and on earth, he must reign in our minds which should assent with perfect submission and firm belief to revealed truths and to the doctrines of Christ. 
He must reign in our wills, which should obey the law and precepts of God. He must reign in our hearts, which should spurn natural desires and love God above all things and cleave to him alone. He must reign in our minds. He must reign in our wills. He must reign in our hearts. These words came in response to what seemed to be a collective crisis of faith. And they were to call the body of Christ back to genuine focus on Christ as king. In 1925. But I ask you this this morning. Doesn't that sound quite relevant to the world we live in today? A growing influence of secularism in our world? An intensifying push for Christians to just keep their beliefs to themselves? Attempts to deny the existence of God and uniquely so to remove King Jesus from our public conversations, our social media posts, our schools, and our communities? And aren't there ever-growing government philosophies around the world that stand against anything connected with faith in Christ? Isn't it time we, as the people of God, again hear a call to reaffirm and refocus faith and trust in the kingship of Jesus? For me, this special day is kind of a, a wake-up call. Maybe not exactly like the one they needed in 1925, but one that we need to hear today, church. Surely we are living in a time when the body of Christ needs to be awakened and renewed in our submission to King Jesus above all else. I mean, we know that Scripture teaches that Jesus is and always will be king. In the book of Revelation, we read multiple references to Jesus as king, not only in the past, not only in the present, but including in the victorious future revealed by the Holy Spirit to John as he wrote Revelation. Revelation 7:14 reads, they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. And in a couple chapters later in chapter 19, these words, On His robe and on His thigh He has this name written, King of kings, and Lord of Lords. It's not really up for debate. Jesus is and always will be King, King of Kings, the one they were hoping for and waiting for in Jeremiah's day, the one who was born a couple thousand years ago. The victory and glory are already announced and already guaranteed. We know Jesus is King and remains King. I kind of like that Christ the King Sunday falls so close to Thanksgiving. Perhaps 
celebrating Christ as king reminds us not only about all we have to be thankful for, but the one specifically to whom we give thanks. The blessings we experience, the faithfulness we see in God, the love and power we know in our Lord are all living reflections of Christ, our King. The question for us this morning is, so what? What do we do with the fact that Christ is King? How do we respond to his kingship of our lives in real and meaningful kinds of ways? How do we reflect our submission to Christ as king in all we do and all that we are? I invite you to prayerfully think about it for just a minute. How can we demonstrate that our lives are fully submitted and committed to Christ as king? Could it be through the love we show? Could it be the service we offer? Could it be the way we give? By the way, this is the Sunday we had asked uh, for the return of uh, financial commitments and those cards. There is a box right outside this door for those. If you have not already returned one, we'd love, love for you to do that this morning. I have mine and Janet's in my pocket ready to go in there as I head out the doors. Could it be the way we give? Could be. Could it be the language we use to point to Christ as king? Or not? Ask God to speak to you about how you can clearly demonstrate in your own life the impact of Christ as king. Because Christ is king. The only question is how will we respond to his kingship every day? Not just on one special Sunday of the year, every day. Do we continue as though we're really in charge the way I'd like to do sometimes? Or do we submit to his kingship, his lordship every day? And what does that look like? How are we going to respond to that? Christ as king. How do we respond today, tomorrow, this week, this year? Christ is king. Let's go and live like we really know, really love, and really serve and submit to King Jesus, the king of kings. Would you pray with me? Lord, we choose to acknowledge and celebrate you as king, as Lord. And with that choice, we choose to submit to you. To your rule in our lives, to your control of our lives and our world. We submit to you because we trust you, God. We trust your leadership and guidance. We trust your shepherding of the sheep. 
We trust you because you have proven faithful again and again and again. So Lord, call us to a point where we renew and refresh our own acknowledgement of you as king. Give us faith to both proclaim and to live out our belief that as king, you have absolute authority in our lives. We surrender to you. And we do that confidently because you are king. And we do all this in the name of Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.